Good morning, my friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to Morning Glory, our midweek Bible study. And I'm so glad that you are here today. Let's take our Bibles and go to Proverbs chapter 23. I want to talk with you today along the lines of stepping into mental excellence. And this is something that over the last year, uh, these things we're talking about today have really been working with such good results in my life that I want to kind of go over uh, some of these things with you today. After all, if you stop and think about it, what is one of the greatest motivators? I think the greatest motivator is just getting good results. And when you see that good results are coming forth, you want to keep on doing that. You know, let's say that you want to uh, lose weight or gain weight, whatever it might be, and you you follow a system maybe for three weeks or a month, and you see that it's working really well, and what does it do? It motivates you to continue on that same path. So I want to cover some of these things today about achieving mental excellence, and this is not just for students who might be taking a midterm exam or something like that. This is for all of us with our everyday life, okay? So let's open up now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we go into your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would bring life to the scriptures so that we can take them and apply them to our lives in a very easy, understandable way. And we pray, Father, that the seed of your word will produce the 100-fold return as we guard it and practice it. We just thank you for the peaceable fruit of righteousness, peace, and joy. In Jesus' name, we all agree and say amen. Praise God. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. I would like to begin today by, by saying that your destiny is in your hands. Praise God. And the state of your life so much of it is determined by the state and the attitude of your mind. It is impossible, as we see in Proverbs 23, verse 7, to think one way, but then uh, get results in, you know, like in a different way. So what you're going to be thinking on, that is what your life is going to follow towards. So it's impossible to think one thing and produce another. I really do believe that a happy and productive life comes from correct thinking. And when we speak correct thinking, we're talking about really lining up and sinking our minds, our thought life in harmony with God's word. Let's take a look at this just for a moment as we uh, move away from Proverbs 23. Let me read that one more time because it's so good. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So our thinking as he thinks, our, our thought life is so very important. Now, let's skip over just for a moment to the book of Numbers, and this is Numbers chapter 13, verse 32 and 33. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out. That would be the ten negative speaking spies, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants 
And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Now, this would be the classic grasshopper mentality that uh, keeps a person out of the promised land. Even though God said, I've already given you the land, now there would be battle. That's, that's uh, understood. But God said, I've already given it to you, but you have to go up and fight for it, but you go up in faith. We're not denying that the giants are there. We're not denying that they're big and they look pretty heavily armored. <laughs> uh, looks like that's going to be a pretty tough challenge. But our lives must be governed by faith, not by sight. Because you can see some things that if you don't work with your mind and if you don't work with your thinking, uh, the things that you see can put you back into that grasshopper mentality. And the way that you view yourself, whether we like it or not, is the way others view us. So if you have a negative self-image and you, you talk to people, but you, you look down when you talk to them and you, you can't look up and look them in the eye for whatever reason, well, that negative uh, grasshopper image is the way that they will perceive you also. But I'm telling you, my friends, God's Word uh, is really able to fix that and cure that. It can, it can pull a person out of their shyness. It can pull a person out of their uh, shell. Uh, and regardless of what has happened in the past that maybe caused a person to go into a shell, I'm telling you that God can help you with your thought life to a degree where you connect with that anointing that you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Praise God. So we fix a negative self-image, such as a grasshopper mentality, with what? Right thinking. Right thinking. And yes, prayer and fasting and all of those other disciplines, uh, uh, th there is a place for that. But you also have to work with your mind, which is working with the way that you think. You and I are not here on this earth to live some type of ordinary, mundane life, but we are to live a life that glorifies God and also would be a life that is an example to others where in many ways we can be a pace setter. We're not just sitting back waiting for something to happen, but we're moving forward, acting upon the Word of God, acting upon the leading of the Holy Spirit, where others say, hey, look at them. They're moving forward despite all of the downhill stuff going on or downstream things being swept in the wrong direction. They're still going forward. Yes, and that brings an inspiration of faith to many through your life. So this is critical while you need to, uh, or why you need to move towards achieving mental excellence. Woo, praise God. Hallelujah. Now, I want you to know that your mind is just as important as your spirit. You are a spirit. You have a soul. Your soul comprises uh, your mind, your will, your emotions, and you live in a body. So you could say that you are tripartite. You are... Uh, you are one, but you have these uh, areas of your life that, that compose who you are. So yes, your, your mind is very important because when you pray in the Spirit and when you walk with God, your spirit is energized, your spirit is strengthened, and 
your spirit has to get that that knowledge of God. It has to get those uh, insights from the Lord to your mind. So your spirit can have all this power, but if it can't get it to your mind, then your mind can't get it to your brain. And so nothing is really uh, moving in the fullness of what God has. So while your spirit is very important uh, and through the born again experience, you're regenerated, you're born again. It is very important also to give attention to your mind and work with your uh, work with the way that you think. Who praise the Lord? Amen. Now, nothing gets to you without first passing through your mind. I want us to look at this just for a moment in Romans, the book of Romans, chapter eight, Romans eight, verse six. For to be carnally minded is death carnal. The word carnal uh, is coming from the Latin, coming from the Greek, and it really means meat. If you think of chili con carne, it's chili with meat. So you're having some beans and meat. You've got some good chili going on. So to be carnally minded is to be like a meat mind, or uh, it's definitely not walking with God in the spirit. It's just debased down on the world level and even if you have a high IQ, you could still be spiritually dead because you're not born again. And that is going to keep you into that carnal realm. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And that's what we want. Sometimes people tell me, Pastor Steve and I, I just want to be happy. But you can't be happy with wrong thoughts. And wrong thoughts often can be a product of not even being born again. So it starts with being regenerated or being saved or what we would call the born again experience. There's different words for it, all meaning, of course, the same thing. You got, you got born again in your spirit. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That's what we want. So we need to be spiritually minded. Because the carnal mind is enmity, or there's a hatred or hostility against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So through salvation, we have an advantage that the unsaved people of the world do not have. What is that, Pastor Stephen? We can be spiritually minded. Now, when I'm talking about spiritually minded, I'm not talking about maybe some uh, guru in India who's put some, uh, you know, paint on his face and he's going to go take a bath uh, in the river and he's considered a holy man. And therefore, because, uh, you know, uh, he hasn't eaten in 40 days and he's got mystical paint on his face, that means that he is spiritually minded. No, it doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean that at all. You can't be truly spiritually minded, uh, no, matter, no matter how many books you read on uh, yoga or any other. The, uh, uh, a lot of that is the Eastern religions that move into what we would call mysticisms or efforts to be spiritual without serving the true God. And it's fascinating. One of the nations of the world that I've been to various times and love a lot is the nation of India. Uh, if you want to see spirituality pushed to its furthest degree outside of Christ, uh, then you'll see it over there, and you'll see where it leads to. And I would call it uh, leading to really a place of confusion. 
So God is a God of order. So you know that's not of God. And I love the Indian people and the church is very strong in India. There's a severe persecution against many Christians in India. Now, the flip side of this uh, attempts of being spiritual without God that you see in India, the flip side is that uh, it, it does create an awareness of the spirit realm. Whereas here in the Western part of the world, you have people, the, the higher educated they become, whether in aeronautics or physics or, or advanced medicine, they completely move away from uh, any consideration of the spirit realm, although it still exists, of course. Uh, and so they become very, into, very intellectual, and they close off completely the reality of this other realm. So I at least give it to uh, the Hindus that they have an understanding of knowing that life is more than just physical. But there's only one mediator between God and man, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's, only, he's the only way to heaven. He's just not one of the other guys. He's, he's the only way. I know that uh, there in India, they worship over 300 million gods. But, um, you know, uh, I was uh, traveling one time on a bus in India. A friend of, uh, uh, actually my assistant, he and I were traveling. And there was a couple on the bus that had a mark uh, of paint on their foreheads uh, that was different from any type of mark I had seen before or that he had seen before either. And we asked what that was. And a person said, oh, those two uh, are on a spiritual pilgrimage. And it is traditional for people that follow the God that, that they follow, where once in their life, they will make a great sacrifice. They will leave their job. They will leave their work. They'll leave everything in order to travel to this part of India where this God is worshiped. And they will take a bath in this so-called river and they'll have this spiritual experience. And they put that mark on them because it's a long journey and it might take them a month just to get there going bus by bus and sometimes walking. But the culture of India is that uh, regardless of what you're of the God that you worship. And there are so many that are worshiped, but if you ever see anybody with those markings on their forehead of that type of paint, and let's say the bus is full because most are, and there's no seats and people are standing up and everything's jam packed. If you come on that bus and you've got that paint on your forehead, people will gladly get up, get up and give you a seat. Why? They know that you're doing something that is a great sacrifice to you. You're going to, to do your effort of worship. And so in their, in their way, they tried to honor that because they, they want to be spiritual. The good part is that when many Indians get saved, they're already, uh, how can I say, the pump is primed. Uh, now they're on the way to heaven, and now uh, they also have already a foundation of realizing that there is a spirit realm. Now those in West Africa also have that. If you come out of uh, witchcraft... <laughs> <laughs> demon worship and stuff like that. You become a Christian, you get delivered, set free, washed with the blood. Well, you, you know, there's a spirit realm. So in some ways they are ahead in these areas. And you know, I, uh, I've got a lot of friends that are from these parts of the world 
And so uh, they've got understanding in things that I've asked them about that have helped me along in my journey. Uh, how can I say knowing more of how things are behind the veil, behind the, uh, the physical realm that we see? Praise God. Amen. But truly to be spiritually minded is to be born again and you're thinking in line with God's word. Woo, that's it. Just as simple as that. Praise God. Now, every unregenerated unsaved person. They have a mind that is not the mind of God, it is the mind of lost man, and it is a reprobate mind that makes them do uh, silly, crazy things at times. Even if they could be like what we would call normal, sweet people that uh, carry out their life and uh, uh, do good things, but yet still, uh, because of not knowing God, uh, it can lead to a reprobate mind. And we see this in the same book, the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Now that sounds a lot like what we're dealing with here in America. Although I'm believing God for revival, as I know you are, we're going to see God touch this nation again. But even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. So in other words, if, if they wanted to be filthy, God's like, okay, well, you know, we've done all we could to try to reach out to you, but uh, you, since you want to be filthy, God just gave them over to it, to a debased mind, to do those things which are not fitting. So today we are living in a culture where what is morally pure and true is now called wrong and bad. And what is absolutely corrupt and wicked and perverted is now celebrated in the eyes of many, many people who are debased in their thinking. Now that is a reprobate mind mm -mm. being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetous, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, and on and on it goes. Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Mm -mm. Well, think about it like this. You have people today that have a reprobate mind, a debased mind, yet they go out and create a product that helps people. Or maybe they run a business and the business is successful. Maybe we even buy a product from that, from that company or that corporation or that business. So stop, stop for a moment and think about, about this. If the uh, carnal mind the sinful mind of sinful men can generate things and produce things that uh, in some ways and to some degree can make the world a better place. How much more can a born again, spirit filled believer with the mind of Christ enter the scene and release and bring various forms of blessing into the earth? Praise God. Hallelujah. So, through the appropriate use of the mind of Christ. I really do believe that every crisis in your life has to get dissolved, has to get fixed, has to get taken care of, whether it's a health crisis, 
whether it is a business crisis or a family crisis or whatever it might be, I see the mind of Christ working in you and you know what to do in every situation. You think different. And that difference is you are thinking in line with God's word. There was never a day. There was never a situation. There was never a moment when Jesus just threw his hands up and told the 12, I tell you what, this one's really stumped me. I don't know what to do. Peter, John, y'all need to call in some people that have got more than I do because this one's got me whipped. No, no. That anointing was on his mind. His way of thinking was in complete agreement with God's word. And I see this same grace moving you towards mental excellence in what God has called you to do. Woo, praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Now, let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Let me jump over there with you, Ecclesiastes chapter 10. We're going to go down to verse 18. Let me get a drink of hot tea real quick. Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. Because of laziness, the building decays, and through idleness of hands, the house leaks. I noticed right up the street there was a house getting a new roof, and they're changing out the shingles. And uh, well, uh, I've driven by that house for years. Glad to see that it's getting some renovation because uh, nobody lives in it, and I've never seen anybody around it for at least 10 years. And uh, there was leaks all over. I'm, I'm, I'm sure they not only had to replace the shingles, but the, um, the, uh, the subroof material, the uh, laminated material underneath that as well. They were taking that out, putting new sheets down uh, because it needed an entire new roof. You know, when you let something sit, it will begin to break down. Not only will it start to break down, other things will start to grow up, such as plants and bushes, and they'll start growing next to your house, growing up through your windows and growing over your house and uh, <laughs> growing into your house or whatever the case might be. And uh, eventually appliances wear out and have to be replaced. And if they don't, then that makes other things worse. So my friends, it's the same way with our minds. We need to use them because of laziness, the building decays. And so we, we don't want to be lazy with our minds. We want to keep them active. And I believe there is a, uh, a connection with youth and strong utilization of your mind, praise God, where you're keeping it sharp. Not that it was sharp 20 years ago, but it's still sharp today. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hmm. And let's talk about a few things that we can do to keep the mind real sharp and also to move towards mental excellence. And I would, I would start number one by saying that you need to engage in reading books. Now I've said this before, but I think sometimes people have heard me say it, but if I were to go to your house, which I don't plan on doing, but if I were to go to your house and I were to say, can you show me your personal library? Uh, I think some of you might say, well, uh, Pastor Stephen, come back in three weeks. Uh, come back in three weeks. I've got to get some things on the shelf because we're not talking about, you know, like magazines or something like that. And, you know, maybe somebody might say, well, Pastor Stephen, I got a new book, but I'm not talking about like a romance novel or, you know what I'm saying? I'm not talking about silly stuff. I'm talking about real material 
that actually sharpens and stimulates your mind towards excellence. Albert Einstein said, once you stop learning, you start dying. Mm. So you need to keep your mind alive through the reading of books. Here's what's interesting. And you've probably noticed this. You can binge, you can binge watch videos. In, in some ways, that's what YouTube is. You, you could just binge videos and watch. When I'm talking about binge, I'm talking about just uh, engulf videos and stuff like that. So you can binge watch videos, maybe watch 10 in a day, but you cannot binge read books. It doesn't work the same way. Books are different in the sense that it forces you to slow down and you can actually retain material that you need to know much better by reading instead of just watching a video. Now, videos are, are good. There's a, there's a place for that. But when it comes to stimulating the mind, books, reading books is very, very critical. And I, I'm talking about this today because I really think some of you are going to make some discoveries in the next 21 days through books that will bring some answers to you that you really need. Okay, so let's jump over to Daniel just for a moment. This is uh, Daniel, Daniel chapter nine. Mm -mm. So your mind is not going to decay. Praise God. Mm -mm. You know, we see a lot of things today like Alzheimer's and the uh, loss of memory and these other types of challenges that endeavor to hit people when they get older. But for all of these symptoms or these manifestations, there's also cures. And if you'll just hit the books, you might find out that, hey, maybe I should back off the sugar. I mean, it's amazing what uh, overconsumption of sugar does. You know, um, growing up when I was a, a young boy, my grandmother on my father's side, my grandmother at every single meal, except for breakfast, but at lunch and dinner, Every time at lunch and dinner, every single day, there was either a cake that she baked or a pie that she baked that was on the table every single time. And you were expected to eat a slice, maybe two, okay? So I remember later in life, my grandmother gets diabetes. She gets sugar diabetes. I remember uh, one time because uh, there was always a, Snicker bar, a Snickers bar in her refrigerator, and uh, grandma told me, don't eat the Snickers bar. I said, okay, you know, because there's desserts everywhere else. Well, one day, um, uh, I just decided to eat the Snickers bar. <laughs> I thought, well, how come I can't eat the Snickers bar? So I ate the Snickers bar. Uh, the next day, my dad told me, uh, he said, son, he said, don't eat the Snickers bar ever again. He said, he said grandma had a, uh, like a sugar crash. Uh, like a diabetic crash, and she went, she went hobbling and, uh, you know, shaking to the refrigerator to get a sugar boost to get the Snickers bar, and it was gone. <laughs> and they said, Stephen must have eaten the Snickers bar. I said, okay, I don't want to kill Grandma. But you know what? It's amazing. Uh, if my grandmother would have read a book, and some of, the, some of these books weren't available back then, but they are today. If she just would have read a book, she could have, she could have stopped all of the popping insulin and all of the other uh, agonizing things that she went through. Just get rid of all the stupid cakes. Get rid of all the pies. I mean, I, I've watched my grandmother make those cakes. I watched her make the pies. I, I would watch her take two cupfuls of white 
sugar and just pour them in. I, and then sugar in the tea. I mean, and then sugar in the Kool-Aid and on and on. and went sugar in everything. And even at breakfast time, uh, there's all the jam and there's all the syrup. And so basically, uh, see, I'm not against, I'm not against sweets, but friends, when you're eating breakfast and you're having like dessert for breakfast, in other words, like the, what, you know, you eat these cereals today, they're almost all sugar. <laughs> That's like having dessert for breakfast. And then you go to lunch and then for lunch you have all this, you know, cake or pie or whatever it is. And it's like having, you know, dessert for lunch and on and on it goes. So I like dessert, but not just for, not, not at all three meals during the day. She could have gotten off all of that diabetes just by getting rid of all this sugar, which she's poisoning her system. But how would you know something like that? You only know what you know. So you have to teach yourself. You got to get into the books. Why do I have this problem? Is there a cure? Of course there is. But you have to get into the books. Amen. Praise God. Daniel 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, now watch this, understood by the books, not just one book, not just the book of Jeremiah, but by the books, the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So once Daniel decoded by the books what the exact time scale or sequence of events that were accurate. Once he understood it by the books, then he goes into prayer request uh, and he's praying, uh, fasting and seeking God because now he knows when's God, basically he knows I've got 18 more years before this thing is going to hit and uh, I want to be ready. So he, how did he figure all of that out by getting into the books? Now, uh, one translation says, by consulting the books. Hmm. In other words, he contemplated the calculation of the years. This is interesting. Now, let me uh, read what one of the great Jewish commentators, Rashi, said about, as he commented on this verse about the life of Daniel and how the books helped him and how God wants you to have certain books in your hands. You, you might even have somebody give you a book that God wants you to have to explain scripture to you, to explain business principles to you, to explain something that will fix and heal your marriage. Uh, so books are very important. So he is saying that I, Daniel, contemplated the calculation of the years for I thought about what Jeremiah prophesied. Now that would be Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10. For at the completion of 70 years of Babylon, I will remember you. And I thought that this remembrance is the building of the temple and that the 70 years end in the first year of Darius the Mede, since the kingdom of Babylon stretched forth a hand upon Israel when Nebuchadnezzar vanquished Jehoiakim to be his slave. Now that was in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, as the master said, in the first year he conquered Nineveh, in the second year, he went up and vanquished Jehoiakim. So Daniel is working with books and Jewish commentaries to try to figure out when is this 70 years going to be up. But you can't figure out when it's, 
when it's up unless you know when it starts. So his great challenge was finding when, when do we actually have the start date? What did Jeremiah mean? What did the Holy Spirit mean uh, when this began? When, do, when can we nail it down? Hmm. So uh, uh, he figures from that year until now, and he realizes that this calculation is found in the Mishnah of Cedar Olam, chapter 28, and uh, Rashi says that we learn there that in the year of Belshazzar's death were 70 years from the day that Nebuchadnezzar ascended the throne. 70 minus 1 since the day that he conquered Jehoiakim, and yet one more year for Babylon, which Darius completed. And when I, Daniel, saw that the redemption was not hastening to come because the time their start date wasn't right, I contemplated and put my heart to the calculation, and I knew that I should not have counted according to the conquest of Jehoiakim, but according to the destruction of Jerusalem, when 70 years will be complete from the exile of Zedekiah, when Jerusalem was destroyed. And there are yet 18 years to come, for this exile was in the 18th year, counting from the conquest of Jehoiakim, as we learned in Cedar Olam which says they were exiled in the seventh year. They were exiled in the eighth year. Stay with me. I know this is a little technical. They were exiled in the 18th year. They were exiled in the 19th year. And he says, our sages in uh, tractate uh, Megillah 11b explained that they were exiled in the exile of Jeconiah in the seventh year, counting from the conquest of Jehoiakim, which is in the eighth year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. They were exiled the second time in the 18th year, counting from the conquest of Jehoiakim, which is the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. What does all of that mean? It means that Rashi, the great Jewish commentator, is pointing out that Daniel found the start date because you can't tell when that 70-year prophecy that Jeremiah gave was going to be up unless you could pinpoint it to the beginning point. And that was what went, the destruction of Jerusalem. How did he find all of that out? You better hit the books. <laughs> you better hit the scriptures and you better hit study commentaries and dive down in there. And he nailed it. He found it. Mm -mm. Again, he said... He said, I, Daniel, understood by the books. And friends, I need to tell, tell some of you that's also the only way that you're going to get some of the things that you need to know. Do you know that I have had people in my life come up to me and say, the Lord uh, placed upon my heart to give you this book. And they would give me a book, not lend it to me. Okay. I don't, I don't deal with lending books. Okay. I, I, if I'm going to give you a book, I'm going to give it to you. I'm not loaning books out. Uh, uh, that never turns out good. <laughs> uh, brother, I'll loan you my book. Um, this is a classic. Uh, it's out of print. Uh, that's the only one available. I'm going to loan it to you. You'll probably, you'll probably never get it back. So, uh, when it comes to books, I give them because I've had books sewn into my life as well. Praise God. So you need to get into the books get into the books. I, I found it very interesting. There is a gem mine in Israel that is a productive uh, mine that is producing uh, beautiful gems. And as far as I know, I think it's the only gem mine in Israel. And uh, it has some of the most beautiful sapphires, blue, green sapphires that the world has ever seen. It has garnet, uh, black spinel, which is very, very pretty. And they also have the world famous 
Carmel Sapphire. And the only place that it's found in the world is in Carmel. Now, this is fascinating. How in the world did somebody uh, find all of these gems in this one little small specific location? Who would have knowledge to look there? Because millions of dollars were poured into the research effort to find these gems. Well, it goes back um, to a very famous rabbi, probably the most famous rabbi in recent uh, Judaism. His name was Rabbi Schneerson. And uh, it was, I've, I've actually have seen the video of it where the mayor of Haifa, Israel, which is a, a coastal city, it's right next to the Mediterranean, and you know, it's there on the land, but it's a big, it's, I think it's the biggest port city in Israel. Well, he was visiting Rabbi Schneerson in New York, and Rabbi Schneerson said something very interesting to him, and he told the mayor of Haifa, and it was videoed when he said it, he told the mayor that in the valley are precious stones and gems. And he said, it's because you're right next to the ocean or right next to the Mediterranean. And then there's, you're in a valley area and right in this particular area, there are precious gems that are hidden beneath the earth. Well, a businessman heard that, saw that video. And this Jewish businessman said, well, Rabbi Schneerson, when he says something, you, you, this is like a, uh, this man is like a genius, you know, so he is a Torah expert, having it completely memorized, having studied all of the rabbi's teaching over the centuries and over the years. And he knew in that one part of Israel, although it had never been found before, scientists said it would not exist in Israel. He knew in that one area, they were precious gems and they poured a lot of money, uh, millions of dollars into uh, an effort to find those gems by looking in that area. Uh, the man, his name was Abraham Taub. He passed away just a few years ago. But sure enough, he found them, and they were right where Rabbi Schneerson said they were. And it's the only, that sapphire called the Carmel Sapphire is the only type in the world that exists. It's probably the most beautiful sapphire in the world. And they just found another element there that the only other place it exists is in asteroids and outer space. <laughs> That's crazy. Woo, praise the Lord. Well, Pastor Stephen, isn't that a lucky guess? That old rabbi, he had a lucky guess. No, that all came out of his time of studying the Torah, studying the book of Genesis especially, and then studying the, the commentaries, the books that expounded the teachings upon what the rabbis knew, and they knew it was there. Mm -mm. Praise God. And now, well, very interesting. I just happened to see that on my, my itinerary, Kelly and I are going to be in a meeting in about a month, and uh, the CEO of that gym company is going to be at the same meeting. Maybe I'll go over and say hello to the person. Maybe I can bring you back some Carmel Sapphire and send it all out to my ministry partners. Amen. <laughs> yes, Pastor Stephen, I'll take five. <laughs> I'm sure they only cost a dollar or two, right? <laughs> They're ultra rare. And uh, yes, they are uh, considered a high luxury item. Amen. Praise God. And extremely beautiful. Praise the Lord. 
glory, glory to God. Other things as you get into the, into the books, into the word and into the, the commentaries that shed light on the word. I'll give you an example uh, as we're talking about some things the rabbis know. Have you ever seen uh, like the Ten Commandments? Uh, you know, the, the famous classic movie and Moses comes down from the mountain with the ten, uh, with the Ten Commandments. He's got a big stone slab right here. Uh, five of the commandments here. He's got another one right here with the other five uh, commandments here. He's carrying down the Ten Commandments. Have you ever stopped to think, man, Moses, you must have some extreme strength. Moses, your deltoids and your, your trapezius muscles must be like on like silverback gorilla type level because if he's actually carrying two stone commandments that are as big as they appear to be in the movie, I mean, what is that? 200 pounds each? So he's carrying 400 pounds with these, and he's walking down a mountain, hasn't had any food, and he's walking down a mountain, and he's, you know, just carrying a mountain. Like, wow, he must have been one seriously strong guy. Or could it be that the commandments, uh, they didn't actually look like that. They weren't that size. Well, the rabbis say that the, the two stone tablets that God wrote on were actually made of blue sapphire. And they were about the size, uh, they're just a little bit bigger than this. It would have been about, uh, the commandment tablet would have been about this tall and about that, about that wide, about that wide, and about that, about that thick. So two tablets. Now you can picture a person carrying that, but to be carrying these big two stone slabs, <laughs> you're like, whoa, wow. Um, uh, not even world's strongest man could support that for very long. But all of these things, as you begin to get into the book and study, really, really begin to um, help you to just have a, have a knowledge through books where you're able to help others, even if, hey, this is not your thing. Think about Rabbi Schneerson. I mean, he's a teacher of the Torah. I mean, he's not a, he's not a treasure hunter. He's not a gemologist. But yet, because of his knowledge of the Word and his study of books, he's advising prime ministers. He's advising kings. He's advising, uh, advising businessmen. He's making statements that if a person would take it and grab it, they can go off and start their own gem mine. That's what one person did who understood, hey, if he said that, uh, we'd really better check into that. One, uh, one Jewish businessman said that he went to Rabbi Schneerson and said, um, I have an idea to start this business, and I really believe it would do well here in New York City. And the rabbi said, no, don't, don't do that. You're not going to make any money. Uh, uh, but the businessman thought, well, I think it will make money. So he went ahead and uh, did it. And he didn't make any money and lost a whole bunch of money. And he came back about a year later after he spent all of his money. And he told the rabbi that it failed. And Rabbi Schneerson said, well, I told you it was going to fail. Because he said, you're trying to get into something that the world is leaving behind. So you're trying to go backwards when everybody else is going forward. He said, I knew, it. I knew from the get-go it wasn't going to work. <laughs> My friends, when you get into the things of God, when you get into the Word, even if you don't know Jesus like he didn't know, but still the knowledge, the word knowledge, it's like Billy Graham told the, the people of Japan, the, uh, there is less than 1% of the Japanese population that's Christian. 
And when Billy Graham went to Japan to minister, he, he didn't have very good results. Uh, it, it, uh, it takes something different that they need to get through to, to them with all of the uh, lockdown from all of the, um, uh, the gods that they serve and that, that, that dryness and that deadness that's there. But he did say, he did tell them that even if you don't receive Christ, he said, I highly recommend that you read the Bible every day, especially the book of Proverbs, if you want to be successful in life. <laughs> now, of course, Billy Graham knew that it doesn't matter how successful you are, eventually you're going to die. So you, it doesn't matter uh, uh, if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul. That you need Jesus. But if they're not going to receive Jesus, Get into the Word. It will work for you. Now, much more when your mind is being renewed and washed with the Word of God. I'm telling you, you're on the way to, uh, to a place where you cannot live a normal life. You cannot live like some type of mediocre life. Not when you've got so much of God in you and not when the Word is working and your, and your mind is thinking on it, meditating on it. Oh, hallelujah. You can't stay normal. <laughs> it starts lifting you. You don't even think the same anymore. My friends, I can look back and while God has worked at the various stages and, and uh, the different phases of my ministry, I can look back. I'm not the same person I was 15 years ago. What I was teaching 15 years ago was good, but my walk with the Lord in some areas, I'm not, I don't even think the same way anymore. I have a greater expansion. I can see over the horizon now with my faith and with the plan that God has for me. I have a different level, a different way of thinking. Praise God. Mm -mm. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, years back, I had heard this statement that if you, if you will spend three hours a day with the Lord in prayer as a minister, as a minister, then you will head towards an international ministry. Well, I really leaned into that and I poured into that. What happened, Pastor Stephen? Well, I read that in the book. I, I read it. I believed it. I applied it. And God has given me an international ministry all over the world. I received an, e an email um, a little while back with a picture uh, from the person who is the host of a book club. And there's like 12 people in the book club. And they sent a picture of me. They are in Nigeria. And they, they were sitting in comfortable chairs beneath the beautiful shaded tree. And everybody there, everybody there had my book. And they had all read my book the previous week, and they were getting together to meet to discuss my book. They all had marked their favorite places in my book. And my friends, I'll be honest with you, when I wrote that book, never, never in my wildest dream would I think that shortly thereafter, there's going to be a book club in Nigeria, and they love my book so much that they're going to get together and sit down and talk about it, and what chapter and what statement blessed them. I was <laughs> just like, Lord, you're, you're amazing. Praise God. But, you know, you pray into things, things that you read that inspire you, not just that you watch or, you know, but, but that you slow down and you take the time to read. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Quickly, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 11. Paul says, only Luke is with me, as he's writing to Timothy. He says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. And Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. 
Verse 13. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Paul, the prolific writer and author that he was, said, bring the books and also bring the parchments. In other words, bring my books and my notes. And Paul was inspired by the writings of others. Paul wanted to see what other commentators had to say. Paul uh, was a receiver of the knowledge that others had acquired in their walk with the Lord. And whatever our field is, whatever the specialty area that we are called to, you need to have books on that subject. Mm -mm. Some people have problems in their life and they have a Bible. They have a Bible, but they don't have any books on that problem area. But see, God, Jesus himself, gave to the church the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. And so our assignment is to shed light on the word. One of the ways that we do that is through the writing of books. If you have a marriage that's struggling, there are people that are anointed by the Lord to write on the subject of how to have a great marriage. And you can go get their book. And for $15, you could turn a lousy marriage into a really good marriage. Woo, praise God. These are things that we need to consider. Some people, they, they have financial challenges, but they don't have any money books at home. And there's nothing on their shelf. There's nothing, there's nothing even downloaded on their iPad or on their phone. On my phone... I've got, I've got uh, probably about 70 books just on my phone. That's not, that's not even counting the physical books. I prefer physical books because I like to uh, mark them and uh, put notes on them and things like that, carry them around with me. But you can only carry so many physical books. I also like the aspect of the ebook that you can get it instant. So if there's a book that I see that really catches my attention and maybe I read a, pre a preview of it, and I'm liking it, I can just click purchase it and instantly, instantly it's on my iPad or on my laptop or uh, on my phone. And then I can read it when I'm on an airplane and I can uh, uh, take it out and, and enjoy reading that. That's the blessing of modern technology. But my friends, let's say that you're called to business, for example, because even Paul still reading books after all the writings he's done and really being the pace setter. Now in the church, he's still reading books. And we need to be doing the same thing. Uh, let's say that you are a businessman or businesswoman. Here's a book that you need by R.G. Letourneau, and it's called Mover of Men and Mountains. I just saw that Dr. Rodney Howard Brown at his church is trying to get everybody in this church to read this book. <laughs> I hope that all of my viewers read this book. This is a Christian man who worked with his thinking Stop and think about it just for a moment. You had men that were using donkeys and mules to pull plows and men with shovels and wheelbarrows to move dirt. And he comes along and starts building these machines that in one day, one of his machines could move more than a hundred men were doing still with, with uh, wheelbarrows and shovels and pickaxes. So it, it requires a different type of thinking. By the way, uh, like I said, with physical books, 
I like them because I can make notes. That's what all of this is right here. And this is the man also, R.G. Letourneau, that gave 90%, not, not of his personal money, of the, of the business's money, gave 90% away while he lived off 10%. So incredible, incredible giving and uh, making some of the largest equipment ever seen on the face of the earth. Now, he lived his life out. He's in heaven. But the university that he established is still thriving today. But uh, you need things like this. You need to develop thinking that's big thinking. You're not destined. Uh, look, let me say it like this. If you have a, a cookie recipe and you're selling those cookies really well in the city and you have your little bake shop and people are coming in saying, hey, this is the greatest cookie ever. I'll tell you what, you read books like this. The next thing you'll do is you'll be starting your online business and you'll be sending those cookies now, not just to people that are on your block or within your five mile radius. You'll start sending them to all 50 states. And then who knows, maybe somebody in Europe really likes your cookie. And the next thing you know, you have an international business. Praise the Lord. But you've got to, um, you've got to read books. What is the price tag of exploits? It's exposure. It's exposure. Um, there are people here, not many now, but there are still a few people here. Uh, I met one a few years back who are adults, but have never left the county. I'm not talking about having left the state. They haven't left the county. And from where I'm at, I can drive about nine miles and I'm out of the county. So I have, the, the, I've met adults. They've never left the county. And what does that do? It affects the way that you think. Now, by God's grace, I've been all over the planet. I've been completely around the planet. I did a multi-tour uh, preaching trip. I just kept going west, and I went to California, preached in California. Then I kept going, went to Japan, then went to uh, Indonesia, and uh, then I went to uh, Singapore, and then I went to India, and I just kept kept going till I actually arrived back around on the other side of the planet, where I, exactly where I started from. <laughs> so I've seen a lot of things. Praise God, Hallelujah! But it, it affects the way that you think. And God is right now; He's wanting to expand your thinking. And a lot of that can be fashioned, formed, and shaped by books. Did you know my grandson's eight years old? He's read the entire book. He can sit down with me and talk. He has like a photographic memory. Uh, he, uh, he's very, very smart. Uh, and he also just got baptized in the Holy Spirit uh, just a few weeks ago as I was able to lead him into the Holy Spirit by God's grace, he and his brother. Amen. Hallelujah. But he's already read the whole book and loves all of the stuff. He's eating it up. And uh, the, see, when I was young, I didn't get anything like that. When I, uh, when I was young, I got old McDonald lived on a farm. He, I, he, I, oh, or something like that. That's all, that's all we had. Uh, we didn't have things that would inspire us, but, but just because you get older, doesn't mean you just shut it off. No, no, keep feeding your mind the, the information that it needs so that you can stay at the forefront of what God has called you to do. And if it's business, you, you need stuff like this. Okay. If you, you need to read books by world changers, uh, Dr. Peter J. Daniels today is a multi-billionaire, but at one point in his life, he was an illiterate bricklayer. Uh, 
But Billy Graham came, went to Australia and preached the gospel, and Peter J. Daniels went to that meeting, and he got saved, and he started reading the Bible. Along with reading the Bible, he started reading autobiographies of great people who overcame impossible odds, and he read over 8,000 biographies. And the more he read, the more it, the more it fashioned what? His thinking. His thinking. His thinking. Are there people who can outpray him? Yes. Are there people that maybe um, uh, would uh, be could maybe seen like as being more spiritual than he, moving into the gifts of the Spirit more than he? Absolutely. But he really worked on his mind. He really worked with his thinking, and he began to go up, 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 and became internationally known as probably the most famous, what they would call platform motivational speaker in the world. And he had to overcome many, many things to do that. Everything from stage fright. <laughs> he, he used to get stage fright so bad that he, he would lose complete control of his bowels. So in order to press through that, he would gulp down this concoction that was almost like glue. And it would clog him up so bad that he couldn't go to the bathroom. But that fixed that problem of having, uh, you know, getting the runs real bad, you know, by speaking in front of a bunch of people. And he just kept overcoming all kinds of things by, by reading the testimonies of others and went on to become a multi-billionaire. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. And I see great things taking place in your life and books being put into your hand. Praise the Lord. This is a book that the Holy Spirit highlighted to me. Uh, about Joseph of Cupertino. By the way, this book was translated by a man that is retired from the CIA, a former spy. Really nice guy. I've talked to him. Uh, he and I email each other every now and then. But uh, because he was stationed in Italy, he became ultra-fluent in Italian. So he was an American stationed by the CIA in Italy. And he became fascinated with the life of Joseph of Cupertino and an old book about his life because Joseph lived in the 1600s. And he thought, you know what? I'm going to translate this from Italian into English. Maybe there's somebody in English that wants to read this. Well, he did. And he's, uh, uh, David Costanzo is an incredible uh, writer, uh, very, very uh, good in translating. So he brought it from the Italian into the English and it's it's a crazy book. If you want to, if you want to be inspired to get into the supernatural walk of the Lord, you've got to read material like that. I've got a stack of books on the life of Padre Pio that are that are at least this tall, and that doesn't include the ones I've also have read, you know, with uh, ebook downloads. Uh, let me say this: I haven't met any minister who is really moving uh, what I would call in the deeper area of the supernatural. I, and I've talked to many of them who at one point in their life, in their ministry, uh, came to the same crossroad I did. If you want to go further, you're going to have to study the lives of the Catholic saints. Why? Because many of them push the boundaries of of walking in the supernatural. And if you read about that, you think, oh, okay, so if they, went, they pushed into that area and God's grace was on their life for that, well, maybe there's possibility for me also to come into this where it's not just some kind of one event moment in your life, but maybe it's something you could tap into. And that's why I begin reading things like that. So 
uh, this was a book that was pivotal in my life. I still read it often. I've got, I've got almost every page marked, underlined with all kinds of things to help me. If you could get past chapter three, uh, the rest is incredible. Chapter three, you're like, whoa, that's pretty heavy duty. It is. It is. But after that, you get into um, the crazy, crazy supernatural. He was the man that was known as the flying monk. And yes, he did uh, fly all over the place as he would go into a supernatural vision or what the Catholics, Catholics call ecstasy. As he would go into ecstasy, he would begin to levitate. And he was seen levitating by hundreds of people at once, by thousands of people at once. And I'll be honest, there, there have been a whole bunch of saints who have levitated. I've got a picture of a saint preaching in a meeting during the 50s healing revival, uh, standing two foot off the platform, levitating in the air, preaching in front of everybody. So it actually, as you start diving into it, you realize, oh, this runs completely through church history. This has been happening every century. <laughs> it's just that some, that anointing, that special gift of the Lord was stronger on them than others. And, uh, Wow. So there's about 10 that had it real, real heavy. And you just didn't know they could go up at any time and often would. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. But, but whatever your area is that God has called you into. So that's an area, what the, you would call the true mystic path. God has pulled me along that line. And so that required me to do what? Read books of others so that I can receive encouragement. What were they doing? Reading books by those that went before them. Praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Jesus. So what is the path that God has for you? It could be that somebody would walk up, maybe even this week, and put a book into your hands and say, you know what, this book meant a lot to me, but I think it might mean more to you. I want to give it to you. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Mm -hmm. Let me grab a drink of hot tea real quick. I was talking to a ministry partner, very precious uh, ministry partner, and his wife has written a couple of books. And he mentioned one of them. I said, yes. I said, yes. She sent me one, and I said, I read it. it was, it's a good book. He said, well, her books aren't really selling the way that we had expected that they would sell. I said, well, it's a very good book, and there's a need for it, so there's only one solution. I said, she needs to start sewing books. He goes, you know, we hadn't thought about that. Well, that's what you need to do. Every, every place that book could go into the hands of somebody, it would be a blessing. Just send it out. Send it out. You know that Kelly and I have sent out, there's no telling how many of our books at no charge. We've sent, we send them in the prisons at no charge. Uh, we, we've sent them uh, just different places, sometimes by the box loads, uh, just to bless people that... Uh, uh, would have, in other words, they would have no access to it. Woo! Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. Praise God. The Holy Spirit's really moving right now. I do believe there's some that are watching me that the Lord would even want you to write your own book. Why do I write books? Well, I write books to stop pain in the lives of people. I would, I would say also, I act even a stronger reason for writing is to end frustration 
in people's lives. Because I believe when you read my books, things make sense. When you read my books, you think, oh, that's how that works. Or, or now I see why that wasn't working. <laughs> you wouldn't believe how many preachers that don't agree with Pentecost or the spirit-filled life of miracles. You, you wouldn't believe how many preachers I've had say to me, well, if what you're saying is true, how come you just don't go down to the hospitals and just clear out all the hospitals and prove that it's true? And they, they think by that statement, they've got me. They think they've got me. I'm like, well, how come Jesus didn't do that? How come when Jesus went to the pool of Siloam with all these sick people everywhere, sick people everywhere, how come he only healed one? How come he didn't heal them all? How come he didn't go to the hospital and just heal them all? Yet you expect me to do it because it doesn't work like that. Now, if Jesus ever does tell me to go down to the hospital, clean out the third floor or the whole hospital, then I'll do it. But you just can't go do things, uh, uh, you know, where God expects people to use their faith, especially in the body of Christ. Well, anyhow, I write books to stop people's frustration so they can understand what works, what doesn't work. But I also realize that a book can go where I can't go, and a book can do something else. It can also stay where I can't stay, because I can maybe only be there for 30 minutes or an hour, but the book can just stay there forever. And then when that person has exhausted and tapped the resource of it, then they can give it to somebody else, and it just keeps on going. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I just got an email from somebody from Tanzania that said, Pastor Stephen, your book changed my life. I thought, Tanzania? <laughs> uh, when I sat down to write that book, I never thought it was going to end up somehow in Tanzania. And I'm not, I'm not talking about ebook downloads. I'm talking about the real books. <laughs> Woo, praise the Lord. Amen. So there's something that you can write that would help somebody, that would make somebody's life easier. Maybe you know something about nutrition that other people don't know, but for you it's common knowledge. Well, maybe it is for you, but not for others. You should put it into a book format and make it available. Make it available in printed form. Make it available as a downloadable uh, type book. Amen. But books change lives. Amen. And if Paul says, hey, when you, I mean, this, this is Paul. Okay, you're not going to get any more spiritual or deeper than Paul. When Paul says, hey, Timothy, uh, when you come, bring that cloak, uh, but make sure also you bring my books and all my notes. Woo, he was a bookworm. Amen. And I want you to be also, praise God. Hallelujah, build your own personal library. There is a correlation. I'll just, I'll be honest. When I, when I go to a church or conference in a certain place of the of America or the world, I can I can judge the spiritual health by the of the people by how the product sales go. If I go to a church and preach my heart out, and nobody buys a book, nobody purchases a CD, nobody has any interest in uh, spiritual material um, that says that there's a missing link there. So they get real excited in the meetings. But you know what? If you're not willing to invest $15 to help with your thinking, to help with your mind, but you'll spend $15 on a meal, you'll go out just no problem. Yeah, double cheeseburger, uh, large order of fries. Uh, yeah, just, yeah, $15 here. Here you go, no problem. But won't spend $15 on your mind. Uh, there's, a, there's something that's missing that's missing there.
People buy cars for $50,000, $70,000, but they won't spend $15 on a book? Uh, something's wrong with the thinking there. Praise God. Some of you, you know what you need to do? You need to treat yourself, and you need to take $100 or $200 and just buy some books and load yourself up with reading material for the next two or three months. You know what? I read, I read about, a, about two books every week. My wife, she just keeps them coming. <laughs> She's buying books for me all the time. <laughs> and I love it, praise God. Amen. I keep running out of shelf space. It's a wonderful problem to have. Woo! Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. And at the same time, I'm writing. Usually in, uh, in the mornings, I write when uh, I'm at my best in the sense where that juice is flowing. I try to take an hour every day and just write. I'm on a real hot book right now. I'm on a book that I know is going to help people. Woo! It's going to help people like crazy. I can't wait to finish it. But we can't rush it. We have, to, we have to do it the right way. We have to fill it all out. Amen. Make sure you do that if you're writing. Just go back over it over and over until you fill that chapter out and it's not half-baked. Don't rush through it. Amen. Praise God. Well, the Holy Spirit's really moving. Amen. So God is an author. He's the bestseller. Did you know, actually, that the Bible is not only the greatest selling book of all time, it's still, every single year, the number one selling book. Now, they don't put it on the New York Times bestseller list, but it still outdoes every book every single year. There are printing presses um, that are pushing out millions and by the tens of millions of Bibles every year. So there's nothing, there's nothing anywhere that can even come close to it. So God is an author. God is a writer. I think there's something in you also where there's something that you could write. Maybe it's a children's book. Maybe it's a teaching or training manual. You know what really a teacher is? Uh, the only difference between a teacher and the student in the classroom is that you have learned the material, but you're now presenting it to them. And the more you present it, the more competent you are at it. But in some ways, that, that gap may not be that big. It's just that you've gone over the material. Now you pre you're presenting it. But you can take a book and you write a book and suddenly people think they're an expert in the field. They have written a book. <laughs> you mean like, well, uh, uh, it's my first book. I uh, uh, didn't really know. I really kind of waited through it. So, you know, but, but you wrote it. What does that mean? It means there's credibility. Mm -hmm. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody might say, well, Pastor Steve, I don't agree with that. Well, that's fine. Go write your own book. If you don't agree with my book, go write your own book. You're free to disagree. Amen. Hallelujah. But write, write something. Write something that will be a blessing to others, that will be a blessing to humanity, that will, that will bring hope to people. There's something that you know that others don't know. My wife and I were at a uh, pastors, a, a friend of ours at his church a few weeks back, the praise and worship was probably some of the highest level praise and worship I've ever heard in my life. I've never heard songs that had words that were so bold about praising God. I mean, I'd, I'd never heard anything like that. Well, he's a composer. So, uh, he has, you know, like orchestra training. He's a, he's a conductor. And so yes, that's his niche. 
thank God that he has written all of these things out and trademarked them, copyrighted them, because, wow, it, it, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to multitudes. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for those that are listening, that they would have a love for reading. Father, I thank you that you're bringing back to my memory. I talked to a man yesterday, an online church member. I talked to a man yesterday who was illiterate, but yet he learned to read by starting to read the New Testament. And it began to make sense to him, and it began to unfold. Father, we thank you that your book, the Bible, is changing lives in all types of ways. So, Father, help us with our thinking that until we take our last breath, let us, to, let us continue to work with our thinking and work with our minds because it moves us towards excellence. Now, Father, we thank you that even, Father, there are those that are watching that even though they may not have a, a, a calling towards a certain area, but they have made discoveries in their readings and they will be able to share something with somebody that's supposed to go that direction. And as they share it, it will help that person to move forward in their plan that you have for their life. Father, we thank you that we receive and we also give. We praise you. Thank you, Father God, the things that you have shared with us. We praise you, O oh God. We thank you that your spirit is moving right now. Right now. In Jesus' name, bless your people. Amen. Praise the Lord. About 30 years ago, I was in a meeting, and uh, I had gone on a bus group uh, with a bunch of other Christians. We all got on the bus. We went to a big conference, Christian conference, and uh, a, a lady on that conference, she gave me a book. She said, I was at this product table. I saw this book, and she said, when I saw it, I thought about you. So I bought it, and I give it to you. It was a book by Lester Sumrall called Pass the Sword. And really, in a sense, it talked about mantles. And that sparked something in me that later, you know, I wrote a book on the subject of mantles. And wow, who would have thought? Who would have thought? But you know what? That person sewed a book into my life, and I read it. Mm -mm -mm. Sometimes I'll, I'll give a book away, but never to a person who won't read it. I'll ask them, hey, Will you read this book? If I give this book to you, will you read it? Yes, Pastor Stephen. Okay, praise the Lord. Amen. Glory to God. We want to sow seed on good soil. Father, bless your people. Thank you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Well, if you're watching today's program and you don't know Jesus, you can't go to heaven without having him as your Lord and Savior, without giving your heart to him. And I want you to go to heaven. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life if you would like to receive everlasting life i want you to pray and i want you to give your heart to jesus he'll save you today he'll save you right now and i also want to invite those to pray that used to be a christian but you fell away from god you got all messed up in sin you turned away from god and you have seen that the grass is not greener on the other side, that the enemy deceived you, but you want to come back to the Lord. Well, 
Jesus is standing right now to receive you back. All you have to do is turn from the sin, come back to him, repent, and he'll restore you. So I want you to pray this prayer also. So let's pray together. Say, Lord Jesus, I repent of all of my sins. Come into my heart. Wash me with your precious blood. Jesus, I surrender my life to you now. Write my name in your book of life. Thank you, Jesus. And step into my life from this day forward and lead me and guide me. In your name I pray. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm just thinking that one time my wife and I, we gave away a thousand books. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. That's some pretty good seed, huh? Amen. The books were in another language, and then we gave them away, and they're just distributed all over the place. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. God is moving right now. Well, let's take Holy Communion because what has been shared is, is something that I want it to go into the soil of your heart. And we don't want the birds of the air to come and eat the seed, the seed of the word. So let's seal it with communion. And I believe that God's got the right books coming to you and you're going to find them. I'm telling you, go out and buy you some books. Praise God. Treat yourself nice. Amen. You buy yourself shoes, you buy yourself a, a nice tie, nice clothes, but you never buy a book for yourself. Get yourself some good books. Amen. Praise the Lord. Get the kind of books that, that stimulate your mind towards excellence, towards the things of God. Let's pray. Grab some grape juice and some bread. Let's pray. Father, we bless the juice, the bread. We set it apart as being holy. We thank you that through this prayer, this is now the flesh and the blood of Jesus. Father, as we receive the Lord's body, we thank you for miracles. We thank you for wisdom. We thank you for understanding of what we read. We thank you for comprehension. We thank you, Father God, that we want to be full of your word, having solutions and insights for those that might even be in completely different career fields than what we're in. But we thank you that knowledge can be overlapping. Knowledge can be overlapping. We thank you, Father. We thank you that we're going to be filled up with your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive together. Praise God. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus. It's mighty cleansing power. Father, we forgive anybody right now who has sinned against us. We have ought against no one. Father, even those that would be in political office who would try to persecute the Christians, we have no ought against them. We forgive them. Father, most of them, they don't even know what they're doing. They don't know you. They don't even know what they're doing. They're in spiritual darkness. They can't even tell their right hand from their left hand. As you told Jonah concerning the debauched nation of Nineveh. Thank you, Father God. Oh, God, we thank you. Hallelujah. You're moving. We forgive anybody who has sinned against us. 
Thank you for the cleansing blood of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Help us to be able to uh, be so full of your word that we can take the hands of others and lead them out of places where they're stale, where they're, they're stuck, and we can lead them on. Oh, God, we give you praise. We thank you. We thank you for solutions. We thank you for the spirit of wisdom operating. We give you all of the praise. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive the blood of Jesus, the anointed one. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. There's a solution for you. There's an answer for you. Be a seeker. Be a reacher. The answer's out there somewhere. Usually it's in a book. Praise God. Amen. Glory. Glory. The Holy Spirit's leading you right now. Thank you for watching today. Let me just release that writing anointing for those of you that feel that fire. Father, I pray for those that are, they feel they've got a book on the inside of them. I release the writing anointing. Father, you've helped me to write seven books. I'm working on number eight. Father, I thank you that you've caused my books to go all over the world. So I pray for those that want to write. This is something that I can release because this is something that you've given to me. So I just release that anointing for writing. Let it come forth upon your people now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Receive. My friends, let me also say that you don't always have to get a pen and paper and write, although you want to put your notes down. But you can also, there's apps, you can take your speech and you can just talk. You can talk your book out. And these apps can take your, your speech and turn it into text. You grab the text and you put it onto a Microsoft Word document and you just keep doing that and you'll start to compile a book. Praise the Lord. You don't always have to sit and type. Now that's the way I like to do it. I sit and type. But some of these other modern ways can really help you uh, to pull it together if maybe you're not good at typing or, and you don't want to write. So there's other ways. Just talk, talk it out. Talk your book. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Father, bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. For some of you, it's time to go to work. For others of you, it's time to make some purchases of some good books. And I'll see you back next time. Also, let me pop up real quick. Ways to give if these messages are blessing you. And I'm, I'm sure they are if you've made it all the way to the end. I'm sure the message much, must be blessing you. Uh, there on the screen is the information of how you can give and support this ministry. And we appreciate it. It helps us to stay on the air in over 200 nations of the world with our Pure Gold television program. And it also helps us to expand into these other areas where God has given us outreaches. And we appreciate you so much and your giving, your support, and your prayers for this ministry. So thank you for uh, supporting this work, and I look forward to seeing you back next time. Till then, have a great day and a great week. Bye-bye.